Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, I got a, that was a nice tee up for me for the sermon at the children's lesson here today because there are different worldviews about what to do with broken stuff. Some of you are the throw it away type people. <laughs> you say, ah, what good is it anymore? It's broken, get rid of it, throw it away, we can always buy a new one. Some of you are the fix-it type people. Well, there's probably life left in it. We got to at least give it a shot. And if not that, well, we probably at least need to keep the broken thing because we'll need the parts for it for something else. And likely, the two of you are probably married together (laughs) just to make life interesting. Now, here's the deal. I'm not giving a wholesale endorsement of either of those perspectives because the last thing I want is any of you going home and saying to your spouse, see, pastor said, I'm right, you're wrong. That's not the goal today. But I tend to be a throwaway type guy. I was not raised in a fix-it house. Uh, I do still love throwing things away when they are not purposeful or not good. I I like to get rid of stuff. However, I have tried to embrace the fix-it mentality as I've matured in life, and particularly because my children demanded of me. (laughs) Silas, you mentioned super glue. Well, I'm the super glue guy at my house. There's usually a pile of things for dad to super glue whether it's toys or pieces of pottery or things that can't even be super glued, I've probably tried to super glue it. Different perspectives about what to do with broken stuff. Last week, last week we looked at worldviews that people have regarding the hope that we have in this world. We laid out the reality that this is a broken world filled with evil. Things do not work right. And so what are we going to do about it? I described to you that there are two predominant worldviews, one of progress and one of despair. The worldview of progress says that things are getting better and better. And so in the example of toys, uh, the worldview of progress might say, we need to make toys that are indestructible that will never fall apart because our main goal in this life is to keep children happy. They can't get sad or upset. They got to get better and better and happier and happier. And so we need toys that'll never break so the children always stay happy until, I don't know, until ever, I guess. The worldview of despair would say, ah, toys, they're cheap, made of plastic. Just throw it away. We'll just buy another one because we're just... We're just getting through in this life anyway. Sure, we do want to be happy, keep the kids happy, just maintain a status quo until, I don't know, until things get better someday. Neither of these worldviews is the Christian worldview. The Christian worldview does not put our hope in the things of this world, but our Christian hope worldview puts our hope in the God who created everything, and who has a plan to restore and redeem and resurrect everything. And this is the guaranteed promise that we receive through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you were here last week and you paid attention to my words, 
uh, which some of you do, uh, I said in my sermon that this week we would be speaking specifically about what the resurrection means for your life as individuals. I spoke a little bit prematurely. We're not doing that today. We're going to talk more about what the whole world is waiting for. We will talk about you. As a matter of fact, we've got sermons prepared uh, coming up about what happens when we die, about heaven, hell, purgatory, what is the, the resurrection of the body, what, what are all these things and these different ideas. We're going to get to all that. But first, we've got to get this right, what the whole world's waiting for. Because what the creation needs, what the whole world needs, is neither abandonment, throwing everything away, nor evolution, getting better and better, but the whole creation is waiting for renewal and redemption. And redemption is not burning up everything that's bad and starting over. Redemption means liberating that which has been enslaved. Redemption means fixing that which has been broken. And redemption means eliminating all of the evils that cause slavery to sin. Eliminating all the evils that cause brokenness. Redemption means fixing things forever and filling them once again with God's good life and purpose. This is the promise and the guarantee of Jesus' resurrection from the dead for us. You could say a definition for biblical hope is this, that God is doing something new that affirms the old. God is doing something new that affirms the old. There's a Japanese art form uh, that's sort of like the super-gluing dad, except uh, bigger and better and more beautiful. There's a Japanese art form called kintsugi. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of kintsugi before, but kintsugi is, is a compound word that literally means golden repair. And this ancient art form in Japan takes pottery that's been shattered and broken, and it, it, and it takes a precious metal, most often liquid gold, and it brings back together those broken pieces of pottery, enhancing the cracks. Not hiding them like we often do with superglue, but enhancing them. And demonstrating this beauty that comes by putting back together things that have been broken. It's a beautiful kind of artwork. It looks beautiful, but it also has a beautiful message, right? That these broken things can be come back together and the scars and the cracks can be enhanced. It's, it's doing something new while affirming the old. Now, there are many Christian metaphors that we could run out of this kind of art form. Yes, it is true that God takes what is broken in this world and he restores it. He makes things new. He does it in your life on a daily basis. As your life progresses, he takes things that break. He takes relationships that are falling apart. He takes sicknesses and illnesses and, and he restores things. He does that work of restoration. He repairs you. 
Yes, God does that. And then to make it even more beautiful, sometimes those scars that you have still remain and they enhance and demonstrate that God has power and authority over the things that cause brokenness. Just as Jesus rose from the dead with scars in his hands and his feet and his side to demonstrate his power over death itself, so it is with us. Jesus repairs us, he restores us, he fixes us, and one day he will return and put all things together and be made all new, all forever. Now this kintsugi is beautiful in and of itself. It's a beautiful art form. It, I think it, it even makes it more beautiful than it would have been on its own. I mean, this was just a white bowl before. Now it's this beautiful bowl with gold interlaid. It's beautiful. You could set this on a shelf or put it on an art display, and people would walk by and say, that's beautiful. But I want to take this one step farther Yes, it's beautiful. Yes, it's beautiful because it's been restored. Yes, it's beautiful because the cracks have been repaired. But what if it got to be used once again and be filled once again with, with food or with wine? And if it became the, the central piece of a celebratory party once again, that is the hope of what is to come, right? Yes, it's beautiful because it's fixed. Yes, it's beautiful because it's enhanced. But it's beautiful also because it's capable of participating in its purpose once again. This is the hope of the whole creation. This is God's plan for the whole creation. When you go to the top of Brockway Mountain, whether you drive or hike there, you get to the top of Brockway Mountain and you, and you do a 360 and you take in the splendor and the beauty and the awe of God's creation. You look at it and you say, this is beautiful. It's beautiful because there's something within you that, that knows that it is made. It is made, it is created. Just as you look at a piece of beautiful artwork and you, you're amazed and in awe, how did they do that? So much more so with God's creation. You look and, and every rock is different and every wildflower and every tree as you, as you look down looks beautiful, especially in the fall and all the colors. You notice all of the lakes, the little ones and the big ones. You see the birds of the air and the humans that are all around you and everybody unique. And, and you get this sense that, yes, this is beautiful, but it's also beautiful because it's designed to hold something even bigger than what you can see with your eyes. It's designed to hold heaven. Heaven. It's designed to hold heaven. It's designed to hold God's dwelling place with us. It is designed for the dwelling place of God to be with us, for there to be no gaps or cracks between the creation and the creator, but for all things to be held together by the God that created them in the very beginning. 
Let me show you this. We're going to look at Colossians chapter 1 today. If you've got a Bible, take it out, underline some stuff. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 15 today. We're going to look at these kind of line by line. Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 15, begins by saying, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. This is Jesus. Jesus is God made visible. God who is invisible makes himself visible in Christ. And he's the firstborn of creation. This, this is saying he's uh, like, like in biblical times, the firstborn is the one with the inheritance. Jesus is the firstborn. He's the one with the sole authority over all creation. He's the, he's the first one. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Do you see this? By him, all things were created. Through him, all things were created. For him, all things were created. This is Jesus. By, by him, all things were created. I would imagine if I asked you, most of you do not think in your minds that Jesus was there at the creation. A lot of people have the wrong idea that it was like, well, God was there, and then Jesus popped up on that Christmas. But who is Jesus? He is God in the flesh. He is the Word of God in the flesh. It was the Word of God that spoke all things into existence in the very beginning. That same word took on flesh. So Jesus was the one by whom all things were created, for whom all things were created, and through whom all things were created. And because he's the one who created it all, he's the one with authority over it all. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Nothing comes before him. He was not created or made. He has always been. And in him, all things hold together. He's the kintsugi <laughs> that holds it all together, the beauty that holds everything together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. He's the head of the body. We are one body of Christ. He's the head. He's in charge. We are his body. And he's the firstborn of the new creation, the firstborn from the dead. He's the first. There will be more. What happened to Jesus on Easter will happen to the whole creation on the last day. The whole thing will rise just as the firstborn rose. And in everything, he's preeminent. That means he's the best. He's the most. He's the, the first place. He's the big guy. He's preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. You see this? I said Jesus is God in the flesh. It's written right here. The whole fullness of God came to dwell and make himself visible in Christ. The fullness of God. In the next chapter, Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, it'll say the same thing. It'll say the fullness of the deity dwells bodily. God came and took on flesh. 
And finally, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus came into the world to reconcile all things to himself. That means put back together that which has been separated. To put it all back together, all things in heaven and on earth, to restore it, to redo it, to repair it, to affirm the old by doing something new, and then to fill it once again with his renewed purpose and life. This whole section of Scripture focuses on the fact that the cross and the grave are the act whereby God's good creation comes back into a right relationship with its creator. Redemption does not mean, like the worldview of progress says, redemption does not mean just making creation a little bit better. Redemption does not mean God coming down to snatch souls and spirits and rescue them from this evil material world to take them somewhere else. Redemption means that God is remaking the creation. He's remaking the creation, and he's dealt with the evil by dying on the cross, making peace by the blood of the cross. It's like this. I want to draw it out for you. Um, In the very beginning, when God created all that there is, he created out of love because in his essence, he is love. So the creation is an outpouring of his love. Heaven, heaven, and we're going to keep talking about heaven, but heaven, by definition, is the dwelling place of God, where God is. It's not a physical location somewhere else. It's God's presence. So when God created everything perfectly in the beginning, the creation was filled with heaven. The creation was filled with, with heaven. Heaven was, was here. It was, it was together. God was not bound by his creation, and yet he was still here. He walked with his people in the garden, and they lived according to heavenly rules because they lived the way God had designed them to live in perfect love. It was, it was as things should be, heaven, heaven on earth. But when sin entered the world, separation entered the world, and things, things were pulling apart. In the creation story in Genesis 3, you read about it where, where humanity is at odds with one another, a husband and a wife. And they're at odds with God, hiding themselves from him. And they're at odds with the creation as it doesn't function correctly anymore. And they'll eventually die. It's this unfurling of God's good creation. And yet, God never completely separated himself from his creation. He still desired to make himself known. Heaven was still coming to earth. God was still holding things together. And he most fully did this through the cross of Jesus Christ. In him, all things hold together in heaven and on earth. We read in Colossians 1. In Christ, all things hold together. And one day, Christ will return and restore things to make it even better than it was in the first place, to make it even better than it was in the very beginning when it was perfect. But heaven will once again fill the earth in a fullest sense, and love will win, and death will be conquered, sickness will be gone, and we will live forever. 
Heaven and earth rejoined together. Humanity living to the fullest state of humanity. Creation living to the fullest state of creation. The fulfillment of what Jesus teaches us to pray. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We continue reading in Colossians 1 verse 23 where it says, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard. So Paul's saying, you've heard this hope. You've heard that in Jesus all things hold together. You've heard how he's the creator and he's the savior and the Lord. You've heard it. And this gospel has been proclaimed, look at this, in all creation under heaven. The the gospel has been proclaimed. The hope of what is to come has been proclaimed to the whole creation. What does this mean? It means that the resurrection of Jesus has ripple effects. Like when you throw a rock into a pond and the ripples go, the resurrection of Jesus does the same thing. It does the same thing. The resurrection of Jesus has ripple effects. We read last week in Romans 8 that the whole creation is groaning with eager anticipation of the resurrection from the dead, the restoration of all things. The creation knows that something is coming. The resurrection hope is out in the world. Now, this does not mean that every single person believes in Jesus, but what it means is that the hope that things can get better is. This is what we share across the world. If you ask anybody, everybody says, yes, there are problems in the world and they got to get better. How are they going to get better? This is the key question. And our answer is in Jesus. And it's getting better. It will get better on the day that Christ returns. See, you get tastes of this in your life. You get tastes of heaven in your life. You get foretastes of what is to come in its fullness, even in this life now. In this world, as you live, as you reconcile with people, as joy is made known in the name of Jesus, you get tastes of heaven, tastes of what is to come. And God does this to hold us in hope. I was just thinking about this this last week. Um, it was uh, last Wednesday, this last week, there was a special worship service at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, where uh, Pastor Kevin and I both graduated from, uh, where we learned to be pastors. And each year there's an annual tradition uh, in April called Call Day, where the graduates find out where they're going to be moving. You don't know until that special service. You find out where you're going to be moving and serving as a pastor. And so I watched this service because a son of our congregation, uh, the son of Duane and uh, Judy Fenske, Jared, uh, he was finding out where he and his wife Emily would be moving. And so I watched it, and I was thinking about, you know, my own memories from 13 years ago, and just kind of filled with joy and uh, all those wonderful memories. But then I was also thinking about, um, I was thinking about Pastor Kevin when he joined us three years ago. Some of you were here, some of you weren't, but he came in April 2020. If you turn back the, the clock, do you remember what was going on in April 2020? 
The world is a mess, right? Uh, the separation, things are unfurling all over the place. Uh, he didn't even get to have a graduation. I mean, it was all online, right? And between the time that we found out he was moving here in April and the time that he came in June, the, the world got even messier. That was right when the racial riots were all happening all around our country. It was just, if you looked out there, I don't know if you remember, but I was thinking back and I was like, man, it was a mess. But then here in our small little neck of the woods in our, you know, little church, Saints Peter and Paul in Houghton, Michigan, there were little tastes of heaven happening. Little glimpses of beauty in the midst of a mess. It was June 14th that we had his ordination and installation service here. And it was all kind of crazy, but that was the day that um, most Midwestern churches uh, opened up their doors for services. So we had our services for the first time that day and also his, his uh, special service later in the day. It was a beautiful service, a wonderful celebratory time. And then at the end of that, we went outside, we started a fire, and we burned the mortgage for this church, which had been substantial. And it happened just 11 years after moving into this building with people's great generosity. And I was just thinking back to that. I was like, the world was a mess, man, but that was a great, joyous day. Right? That's a little bit of heaven here on earth. And that's like God saying to us, I'm still here. I'm still living. I'm still in charge. I know sometimes it doesn't look like it, but I am making things new. And hope is real. Don't look to the world for your hope. It's not getting any better on its own. Don't look to the world for your hope, or you might just want to say, get me out of here. Don't look to the world for your hope. Look to me. I am your hope. I dealt with evil on the cross, and I'm holding all things together until the day that I make all things new. My friends, you get tastes of heaven like this in your life too, and you get to be ambassadors of this heavenly hope in the world. It happens when you embrace a loved one that you've been separated from for a long time, and you set aside your past and you forgive one another and reconcile. You sense it when your whole family gathers together for a Thanksgiving meal and it's a joyous time. You feel it when you're sitting on the beach in the summer and the children are playing happily and the waves are crashing and lapping quietly. You, you feel it, you, you taste it as you dig in the dirt and you harvest the first vegetables from your garden. You see it and experience it when someone that you've prayed for who's been far from Christ comes to a loving relationship with Jesus and finds their true hope in Jesus to celebrate and live together forever. All of these things, broken as they may be, have the ability in God's hands to be restored, renewed, resurrected, and refilled with the glory of God and the life that comes only from Jesus. God does not throw away the old. He affirms the old by doing something new with it. This is what the whole world's waiting for. In Jesus' name, amen.